0: This episode of Living Corporate is brought to you by Blind. Blind is a safe, trusted community of more than 5 million verified professionals. Head over to teamblind.com to get the latest insights into salaries, company reviews and interview experiences at thousands of companies worldwide. What's up, y'all? It's Zach with Corporate. Listen, I ain't even gonna hold y'all super long on this one. I had an incredible conversation with Dr. Jason Johnson. Some of y'all may know Dr. Jason Johnson from Morgan State as a professor. Some of y'all may know Jason Johnson from The Grio. Some of y'all may know Jason Johnson from his several appearances and hosting spots covering other shows on MSNBC. Jason Johnson's phenomenal. I cannot thank him enough for being a guest, we talk a lot about just the current political landscape and frankly, this feeling of just hopelessness when it comes to voting, right? Like, we're, I think this moment is stripping away any veneer of real difference between these political parties and I, I get it, like, don't get me, I'm not I get that the GOP is clearly white supremacist, so what I mean is we have one party that's complete, completely terroristic and white supremacist, we have this other party that is but at the same time, it's not willing to match extremes to stop some of the blatant oppression that we're that we're going through, right? Like the response in these moments continues to be, "We have to vote," and it's like, "Well, okay, yes, voting is a thing, but what else should we be doing?" Reminds you perhaps of the sentiment I had in my conversation with uh, Nikki Fried, but I want to say, like, we are in this moment where it's critical for us to leverage every resource to exercise our voice I do not believe that voting is the penultimate way to express political dissent I believe that that's the way that is most promoted because it's the thing that is most easily controlled frankly and it's the thing um, that is the most peaceful so we say you should just go vote but there are other ways to express your political dissent there's all manner of protest there's other things to do right right that do not involve endangering other people. So don't get me wrong. But I'm just saying, like, voting is not... Voting is probably the most passive thing you can do. And it's important to exercise every lever you have to express your your voice in moments such as these, including voting. With that being said, I'm super appreciative of, again, of Jason Johnson, Dr. Jason Johnson. And I'm excited about our discussion you know what? What I like about this dude is when he comes on Living Corporate, I'm able to just have frank conversations. He knows I'm going to ask him the real stuff. He's not going to be cute with me either. So I appreciate his frankness. So you're going to hear that in a moment. The other thing I want to talk about is if you haven't heard already, the tap in with Tristan is going away. I know that some of y'all are like, no, not the tap. What happened to the tap in? What happened to Tristan? What's going on? He left. What's going on? Is this new Royal Mall like with the, y'all breaking up the team? Nothing like that. In fact, Tristan. Wants to have his own show. And so we're going to be announcing that pretty soon. And I'm excited about that. We have another show, another segment that will be on the Living Corporate flagship to replace the Tap In with Tristan. Okay. And that show is called Workplace Democracy. And it's all about how to know your rights as an employee in the workplace. Very exciting. And what excites me about, it again, it's all about empowerment and information and the fact that not only is the subject matter, but the person who we actually have who's going to be talking about your rights in the workplace. And it's actually Tyra Robinson. Tyra Robinson is all sorts of things. But I think what's most critical for you to know in this moment is that Tyra Robinson has a background. She's a lawyer, first of all, and she has a direct background in EEOC law. So it's someone who not only has our voice and our experience in mind, but someone who has the expertise and experience to speak on these matters. And it's her ability to come together, not only to speak to employment law, but her being a part of our culture and bringing both of those realities together in a really informed, approachable way and digestible way that excites me. So again, the tap in with Tristan is no longer. Tristan is still on the Living Corporate Network. He's actually going to have his own show. Pretty soon there'll be more about that. So there's something coming. Keep yourself posted. All right. Pay attention. Keep your eyes peeled. And we have a new segment coming called Workplace Democracy, which will be hosted by Tyra Robertson, who is an EEOC attorney. Right. So it's important for you to know we got things growing and cooking and changing over here. Right. This is actually good news. You know what I'm saying? It's actually a good thing. I'm excited about it. And I hope you're excited about it, too. All right. Now, with all that being said, we're actually going to pivot, take a break. and we come back, you're going to hear my conversation with Dr. Jason Johnson. See you in a minute. Live in Corporate is brought to you by Doximity. Doximity is committed to fostering an inclusive and diverse work environment where differences are valued, practices are equitable, and employees experience a sense of belonging that allows them to bring their full, authentic selves daily. As medicine's largest network, there's an elevated level of responsibility to everything we do. We don't take that responsibility lightly and are committed to working towards a more equitable world inside and beyond our virtual office walls. So if you want to learn more about Doximity, go to your app store and type in D-O-X-I-M-I-T-Y. Again, that's D-O-X-I-M-I-T-Y. are building a culture of belonging. Every word counts. That's why Textio brings the world's most advanced language insights into your hiring and employer brand content. Our industry-leading approach to artificial intelligence and machine learning provides the tools needed to find more diverse candidates. In short, Textio builds more equitable workspaces, guiding businesses and writing more inclusive job posts. And we're building on that success by bringing even more products to the market for all people who share our belief that language matters. Words have power. And at Textio, we harness that power to increase the access and availability of value-driven work for everyone.
1: Hey y'all, and welcome to Workplace Democracy, a podcast segment brought to you by Living Corporate. This podcast segment is designed to give you an overview of key laws and strategies to protect your rights as a professional employee. I'll explain how through examples of equal employment opportunity cases and supporting contexts. My name is Tyra Robinson. I'm an attorney licensed to practice in the state of Maryland, and I currently work as an employment law attorney, and I'm passionate about making the law more accessible to those who it impacts most and therefore those who need to understand it most. In later segments, we'll cover fundamental workplace laws and their history, new laws and legislation to watch for that could impact your workplace, and examples of maximizing your collective power as workers, all with the aim of making your workplace work for you. Finally, this segment will provide you with additional resources to educate yourself, share that knowledge with those close to you, and empower you to feel confident in exercising your rights. So for the rest of this segment, I'll tell you about what the EEOC is and what workplace laws they enforce. The Equal Employment Opportunity Commission is an independent enforcement agency that enforces federal workplace discrimination laws through administrative and judicial enforcement and provides education and technical assistance on those laws. The EEOC has a headquarters in Washington, D.C., and 53 field offices across the United States. Some of the laws that the EEOC enforces include Title VII of the Civil Rights Act of 1964, the Pregnancy Discrimination Act, the Equal Pay Act of 1963, the Age Discrimination and Employment Act of 1967, Title I of the Americans with Disabilities Act of 1990, Sections 501 and 505 of the Rehabilitation Act of 1973, and the Genetic Information Nondiscrimination Act of 2008. These laws cover many aspects of employment from when you're a job applicant to when you're hired to when you're doing the job. They all prohibit discrimination in some form, whether it's because of your race, national origin, sex, older age, disability, and even your family's medical history, and also retaliation for speaking up about your rights. There are many nuances to these laws, however, such as the size of the employer that the laws apply to and forms of action that constitute prohibited conduct. The EEOC does not enforce all workplace discrimination laws. Oftentimes, there are state and local, such as city or county-level laws, that prohibit certain types of discrimination. So always be aware of any local-level protection you may have. Thank you all so much for listening to the first episode of Workplace Democracy, brought to you by the Living Corporate Network and myself, Tyra Robinson. I hope you'll tune in every segment to learn more about how to bring democracy to your workplace. Please understand that this podcast is only intended for educational purposes and is not a replacement for individualized legal advice. You should always seek the services of a licensed attorney who will look at the specific facts of your individual circumstance if you are contemplating legal action. Additionally, the views expressed in this podcast are my own and not reflective of my employer.
0: This episode of Live in Corporate is brought to you by Blind. Blind is a trusted community of more than five million verified professionals. On Blind, professionals connect and have honest discussions about salaries and what it's really like to work at or interview with a company. You can also join your private company channel to have a candid and safe conversation with your coworkers about what's really going on. And because it's anonymous, you can be honest and trust what you read. Check out teamblind.com to get the latest insights and the answers to your workplace questions. Living Corporate is brought to you by Doximity. Doximity helps over 2 million medical professionals. We are the largest medical network that includes over 80% of physicians and over 50% of physician assistants and nurse practitioners. We don't take that responsibility lightly and committed to working towards a more equitable world inside and beyond. Our virtual office walls if you want to learn more about doximity check out your app store at d-o-x-i-m-i-t-y that's d-o-x-i-m-i-t-y dr jason johnson what's going on man uh i'm wonderful i'm wonderful i'm uh Sitting here, just a couple days before the
2: beginning of the school year, getting prepped and ready, uh, getting myself prepared for some media things, writing, and uh, you know, catching up on my obligatory
0: uh, pop culture downloads so I know what the heck is going on in the world this week. You know, it's crazy. You 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 so you kind of humble about it. You talking about the the media things, man. You political. You're heavy at, on MSNBC. I saw you by the way when you was covering for. Uh, for, for joy for yeah. joy yeah that was yeah. that was fire and then you're still a contributor at the Grio, and you got you're hosting the uh, a word with slate so yes and you're on sirius xm I are mean, you doing your thing man uh, yeah yeah i'm kind of busy it's it's
2: funny i was just actually uh texting with joy this morning um you know she was out of the country she asked me uh and then a week later tiffany cross to sit in for her and you know my first day of sitting in for joy and i've sat in you know, I. I host for several people shows right uh, Ari Melbourne, Tiffany uh Ari Tiffany uh Nicole Wallace Lawrence O'Donnell um but that first Monday was the day that the story broke about the FBI doing the search at mar and I gotta tell you that is the craziest day to be sitting in for somebody and it's uh, people joking it's almost a running gag at the network whenever I'm in the chair for somebody else breaking news happens right like I think it was last year that terrible shooting in El Paso happened when I was sitting in for Ari Melbourne. So it's like, I, I'm convinced that I'm going to be in the chair, like when aliens land, like something,
0: <laughs> <laughs>
2: it's just going to be something. And so, um, but, but yeah, yeah, I, I'm I'm always uh, really thankful and appreciative to, you know, people who ask you to sit in. It is, you know, you're not assigned to that. Uh, the, the person who's the regular host of the show, Has to have some confidence in you. You have to be somebody who they actually want to sit in. So uh, it's a real honor when uh, when someone has you do that.
0: Matt, you know it's it's wild because first of all, let's let's talk real quick. I do want to tap on it now. Look with this with this uh, with Trump. Now, like, is he going to jail? (laughs) You know, this is the thing. This always makes me laugh when people ask me this question
2: because one, do we have any precedent in the history of this country? for really, really rich people going to jail. yeah, We nah, really don't. Nah, not really. We, we don't have a lot of very wealthy people in American history who've gone to jail. And then, you know, if you try and do a Venn diagram of politicians who have ever gone to jail and really rich people who have ever gone to jail, it's a very small list,
0: right, right? right?
2: And so the likelihood that Donald Trump ever ends up going to jail for the various crimes that he appears to have committed. I'm not a lawyer. I don't play one on TV, right? Um, But it, it seems unlikely to me. And my concern about that, to be honest, is while I am not a lawyer, I'm a political scientist, and I also know a little bit about history. And if you go throughout the entire history of nations on this planet... yeah. I can scarcely think of one where a leader, an outgoing leader, attempts a coup, attempts to stay in power through violence and take over the government. The initial plot is thwarted. And then that person gets to continue walking around as a free citizen. In almost every other instance in history, if you try and overthrow your government, one of two things happens. Either one, you end up... Exiled from the country, they say you ain't got to go home, but you can't stay here. Take your money, take your resources, take your family, get out. That's what they did to say the Marcoses um, in the Philippines, or you end up dead, mm. like Ceausescu, you know, the long-term dictator in Romania. But there's really no precedent for yeah, you tried to take over the government, and we're just going to let you stay. And in fact, in every instance where we've allowed where someone has done that, they eventually end up taking over. Because they haven't faced any real consequences
0: for their behavior. Well, it's wild because, I mean, look now, I've been black my whole life, as have you. So I believe. have been doing it for a while. Right, yes, I got I got some experience. Now, so I recognize, I understand white folks don't get held accountable in the same degrees that that black and brown folks do. And I'm like, I'm not going to say I'm at peace with that, but I've I've come to accept that as reality. But like, I was like, dang, he's just going to walk outside. Like, it's just cool. Like, that was, that's the part that, that blows my mind, man. And then- frankly like what's happening what we're seeing with him having these top secret documents i mean it's like submission impossible stuff like he's taking like this is like clearly wrong and it's wild to see the gop bunker down and claim this something to be some massive injustice i mean the last time you were on i asked Mm. you about these black republicans right right and and you was you was you was kind because see and here's the thing here's the thing jason i know that you know you seem like a nice guy i'm sure you probably have relationships with some of these people. But I'm gonna ask you again. I'm, I'm I'm gonna ask you again. What is going on with these black Republicans defending Donald Trump? Especially your man. He was just on the news talking about like throwing all kinds of pleas for Donald Trump. Hold on. The only black senator. Oh, Tim Scott. Why is yeah, Tim, Tim Scott? South why Carolina. is Tim Scott of South Carolina still carrying this man's water? Like, and I'm I'm gonna ask it another way. I feel like, and you can break the news right here, Jason. Look, man, we're not as big as Slate. <laughs> You're not, it's nothing's going to happen. Do you, <laughs> do these black, like for what you know, do these black folks really believe this stuff? Or is it like they just realize how they get, this is how they get on? Cause I just, it's hard to believe. So you kind of have to break this down to three different
2: groups of people in order to understand some of this phenomenon. You have black people who are Republicans you have Black people who are Trump supporters, and then you have Black people who may just vote for a particular Republican candidate. And those three groups of people aren't necessarily the same thing, right? If you are just a tried and true Republican, and that's part of your identity, then you're just going to vote R no matter what the circumstances are, right? There's very few people who are like, I think my candidate is so bad, I'm just not going to vote for them. So if you're a Black person, you've been a Republican all along, Oh, you're going to rationalize and justify anything the party was doing. That's what Tim Scott does. I think that's wrong. I think there should be some objective standards, some relative faith in the country, some basic human rights and values that you maintain, regardless of who you uh, put next to your name. But that explains people like him. But Tim Scott is different than being a Trump supporter, because a lot of black folks, and I think most of these people are kind of your grifters, your your sort of uh, Officer Tatum, uh, Candace Owens types, you know, uh, uh, sort of Dan Bongino's. These are people, uh, Stacey on the right, I I don't mind mentioning their names. I'm familiar with most of these people. But these are folks who arguably, um, they're in on the grift. They see that Trump is popular. Uh, They see that that being a black person that supports Trump can get you a certain amount of media attention that you can monetize. Um, And most of those people aren't particularly political. In fact, most of them sort of prided themselves on being politically disengaged before Trump sort of rose to power. And now they're just riding with it. I mean, you know, most of them aren't particularly influential. You're sort of diamond and silk. I mean, who... Does anybody know anybody who actually regularly listens to Diamond and Silk? I don't even know what outlet they're on, right? But it worked for them. It's a hustle. They weren't particularly political beforehand. They can play that role. So, you know, there's those people. And of course, they're going to support Trump because he's their bread and butter. And then you have what actually is the only thing that remotely concerns me is perhaps black people who vote for Republican candidates um, at the state level. Uh, at the national level. And you have these stories that are always about, oh, you know, Black men are voting for... No, I mean, you don't have some historic number of Black men who are defecting and voting for the Republican Party. But what you do have is a certain number of Black men who are attracted to um, the sort of perceived strength and hypermasculinity of some parts of the Republican Party and they be maybe lured away. And and my issue with that is not the sort of defense of, of any particular individual, whether it's Trump or, or Ivanka or anything else like that. It's really the idea of like you're voting for terrorists. And and the Republicans are no longer a party. I said this on TV all the time. They're not a party. They're a dime store front for a terrorist organization. Period. That's all it is. Um, it's, it's Sinn Féin to, um, <clears throat> the, the IRA, you know, it's Hamas and PLO. Um, you know, you have people who put on suits and go to Congress and pretend that they're sort of engaging in policy, but really they're just, they're a fig leaf over a terrorist movement that has attempted to overthrow the government, has attempted to, uh, kidnap the governor of Michigan, um, you know, went and attacked, uh, FBI offices, after the search and seizure of mar-a-lago and so you cannot in good conscience vote for anything that has an r next to its name at this point unless you are in support of terror and that white nationalist terror will eventually turn around and bite bite people and, and bite black folks on the rear end so anybody voting for them i think is ridiculous at this point
0: you know here's and i was gonna add that was gonna be one of my my questions to you in our conversation is like I'm not seeing a platform uh, that the Republicans have that doesn't involve making your life shorter and worse. Right. Like, and you know, there's a lot of commentary around like how white supremacy hurts white folks too. And we're seeing that in the, in the, uh, the, the, the abolition of, of Ro, Roe v. Wade and, 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 and all these continued uh, additional points of control on, on women's bodies. I mean, are we looking at, are we, and it feels like every, um, it feels like every, the past few voting cycles, it's been, hey, this is the one vote, like we have to vote. It seems like we're getting closer and closer to the fall of Rome. And like, am I being hyperbolic in that? Like, I just, I don't understand how we're going to maintain as a civilization if we don't make some really radical changes.
2: Uh, no, I don't think that's hyperbolic. I think it's pretty realistic. I think the problems facing America right now are so multi-layered that it is extremely difficult to envision any of this getting corrected without a radical change at the federal level. And the only political party we have left in the country is the Democratic Party. And they're led by people who don't have a particular radical vision for how to protect this country. You have voter suppression happening uh, at the state level, which is nothing more than you know, a racist throwback trying to make it difficult for different kinds of people to vote. That's before you get into the idea that you know there's still election tampering that goes on and 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 tampering with voting machines and trying to flip votes. Georgia is famous for that. We also have those kinds of issues in Florida. We've had those kinds of issues in Ohio. Um, and then at your sort of federal level in Congress, um, you know, you have gerrymandered districts uh, because of a a census that was taken intentionally incorrectly by the Trump administration in 2020. And yes, you can use survey estimates one way or another, but there were massive, massive undercounts of black and brown people, especially in the South um, throughout the pandemic, because Trump didn't care. Um, and, and so, you know, you have these sort of structural things that we're going at. And then we have an administration that frankly has been dedicated to trying to manage governing, but not operating under the assumption that they're a war. Um, again, you can think of any job, right? You know, Zach, you think any job you can think of, and when the new manager comes in, what does he or she do? They do an assessment for the first three or four months of who is loyal to them and who isn't, and then they fire everybody and bring in their own damn people. Now, you know, we can complain about that with Warner Brothers and everything else like that and big monopolies, but that's generally how business operates. The new leadership comes in. And, you know, replaces all but maybe 10, 15 percent of the previous regime. D- Joe Biden gets into office. There is literally an attempted coup. And yet you still have Chris Ray running the FBI. I believe, yeah, You still have Chris Ray who was appointed by Trump. You still have, uh, you know, DeJoy, who's running the post office, brought in by Trump. You still have the inspector general at the DOJ, who was a Trump appointee. It's it's as if no one pays any attention to history. History says that you purge. You know when 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 Saddam Hussein was taken out of power, basically they all you know the new government in Iraq. Now mind you, was one that we more or less propped up, but they all but they all but made the Baath Party illegal. The Baath Party was the party of Saddam Hussein, and they're like, yeah, if you were in the Baath Party, you're out. You're not going to work. You can't get into government. We got to stop you. And yet you have. Hundreds and hundreds of Trumpists, people loyal to his administration and loyal to him, not to a party, not to an ideology, but loyal to him, who are still in power because Joe Biden hasn't seen fit to remove these people almost two years into his presidency. And then you cap it all off with the Supreme Court, which is a completely illegitimate entity at this particular point, um, propped up by sort of arcane rules. Um, And now they are ruling in ways that are not only grotesque, grotesque bastardizations of the text in the Constitution, but also um, in, in complete, you know, complete contrast to where the country happens to be philosophically and morally today. All of these problems can be fixed, but Joe Biden isn't the president to do it. And I don't think that anyone else in his administration is committed enough to what the radical changes are that you would need to make these things happen. So, yeah, we're in bad shape. There are ways that you can try and improve your individual lot, your local lot. But at a national level, no, we're not moving in the right direction and probably won't be for a very long time.
0: Damn, I'm over here just hitting with the screw face. Now, I have a couple of follow ups. Sure. It's, it's interesting. You know, we talk about uh, we talk about Joe Biden. And he I recall during his campaign, he really sold himself as like this great divider, a great uniter, excuse me. Right. right. This great uniter. But. Some of it almost feels like. Like his whiteness is getting in the way in that, like he's he he. it's like he doesn't really see like the Republicans as the threat that they are. He doesn't really see the same level or se- have the same level of urgency, almost kind of like, well, they're all right. Well, they understand. Well, they'll get it. And I don't I don't know. Like I, I feel like there's a certain level of like I'm not no psychologist, nor do I play one on TV. But there seems to be, like, this resistance to really engage in the real problems that we're seeing here within the GOP, which, is again, what you're talking about regarding their terroristic behaviors, which is all rooted in white supremacy and patriarchy. It doesn't seem as if there's any real desire to, like, to your point, like, weed out any of that. And, like, I'm trying to understand where the, the lack of urgency comes from. I agree with you that Biden isn't the person to really create and drive those radical changes. But I'm trying, I, I, for the life of me, I don't understand, I don't know what, to chalk it up, what else to chalk it up to besides, besides the fact that he's just an old white man out of touch. Like, what else is it? I mean, I, I think there's a lot of factors.
2: Some are, he just doesn't want to, right? Um, he believes that through the strength of his, his charm, his ideas, and a shared love of this country will eventually rule out. So some of it is just that. It's just, it's just naivete. It's the belief that at some point you guys are gonna recognize that this doesn't help. Obama actually used to make the same mistake all the time. Took Obama really until his second term for him to realize it's like, oh, these people would rather see this country burn than see it run by a black man. Um and, you know, again, I, I don't think he recognized that until 2012, 2013. Joe Biden is operating under that same naivete, except he's white. So he figured at some point, some of this would stop. And what he doesn't recognize is that it's not just about being white in skin tone. It's about whiteness as a political, philosophical, and almost religious ideology at this point. So that's the part that he's sort of missing. This is not about, that's why you keep seeing these stories of these proud boys who are Asian and brown and black and and Ontario and everything else like that because they're worshiping whiteness even if they don't have white skin. It is a cult. It's a faith. Um, and, and and in the same way as any other faith, um, you can be born into it, but it doesn't necessarily mean you're inherent to it, that you adhere to the faith. You can be born white. It doesn't mean that you worship whiteness. Um, so that's one of the things that I, I think sort of from a philosophical, ideological standpoint, they don't understand. But I think the other thing is this. Um, you don't have a lot of appetite for it because they believe naively. I think a lot of people in his administration that if they provide a functional government that serves the people, that that will be able to mollify or keep the radicalized elements of America at bay. You know, they think, look, if I provide people with free shots and arms and 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 discounts and, um, you know, a uh, uh, uh you know, rent saving and everything else like that during this pandemic, if I do that, these people will realize that I'm the one they should vote for. And the problem is that doesn't work. Barack Obama spent a billion zillion dollars on the stimulus package through all sorts of cash in the white people's pockets, and they still hated him. They hated his guts. It doesn't matter what you do, because what you also have is about 28 to 33 percent of the U.S. population now. And this is a unique place for us to be historically. People who are voting for the Republican Party, about 30% of the U.S. voting population, they no longer are voting for the traditional reasons that we've expected, which is I vote for you and you give me something back, right? Something tangible, something from something that will help me eat, clothe me, or allow me to purchase things in life. That's not what they're voting for. They're voting for the government to act as a cudgel, for an elected official to act as a cudgel, Um, my, my friend and colleague, Adam Seward talked about this in the nation where he said in explaining Trumpism, he said, the cruelty is the point. If you're voting for Ron DeSantis, it's not because he's keeping your taxes low. It's because he's going to say things and he's going to initiate policy to hurt black people, to hurt trans kids, to hurt gay people. These are all people that you hate that you can't actively put your hands on so you vote for someone else to be your sort of metaphorical policy cudgel to attack the people that you hate. That's all they want at this point. It's about owning the lips. And the arrogance of it, and this is where white privilege comes into play, the arrogance of it is while you're voting for knuckleheads whose primary goal seems to be screwing around with abortion and LGBTQ issues and race issues and everything else like that, you are tacitly acknowledging that the Democrats are still actually running your day-to-day government, which is why your lights come on, right, and why you can still get water. They 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 know someone's still running the government, so they'll keep voting for the crazies. But as you can see in a state like Texas, which has had multiple power grids
0: shut down, man, I'm here over the last couple
2: Yes, man. Yes. And and the government has seen themselves to be absolutely incapable not only of preventing the next power bridge shutdown, but not even giving reasonable explanations as people were suffering. And yet they're very likely to stay in power through a combination of voter suppression and an inherent belief that, yeah, my family froze to death. We lost a family dog in the last ice storm because we couldn't get power, Um, you know my my daughter can't get an abortion you know she went off to college or my son you know got somebody pregnant and they can't get an abortion i can't get a, you know basic things that i operated under for the entirety of my life as rights are no longer available to me but boy oh boy they're going to keep latinos from crying across the border. and that may not make any sense to me or you but there are millions of people in america who operate that way that knowing that a black person can't vote knowing that a cop. Can shoot a black man in the head, black woman in the head, in the stomach, in broad daylight, can burst into their houses and murder them and get off scot free. That for them is worth more than having access to regular and consistent healthcare.
0: You know, you talked about the top of the, this this conversation. You talked about the fact that you're getting ready for the, the school year to get back in the swing, of the semester to start. Um, we're dealing with, I would say, of course, like people talk about it all the time that like gen z like they're like some of the most politically activated and engaged um citizens that we've had because of just social media technology and information being shared around and, and I, i'm not going to debate that uh per se but i will say that there's also a high degree of just disillusionment um and frustration with like the political process for all folks but certainly uh, for younger folks as well like as you think about like the students that you're going to be engaging, a lot of them who are going to be voters for the first time and, um, and not just the midterms, but also as we think about the presidential election, like what are the, what is your retort or response to those who say, yeah, yeah, yeah. But all this, I mean, still it's, it's not, nothing's going to really change. What's the retort you have back to that, to those students?
2: So there's a couple things. One, I'll say this about a practical, uh, the ideological and the practical, the practical level You have to understand there's a difference between people being politically engaged and people being politically informed it's much more easy to be engaged than it is to be informed so i think a lot of young people a lot of my students they're engaged because social media makes it easy right i can i can i can engage in what i feel if i see a post about joe biden's crime policy i can like or not like that is engagement we have way more engagement today than we had 30 years ago because it's easier But it doesn't mean that you know any better. I've always said that a lot of Trump supporters are incredibly politically engaged, but they're not politically informed. Right. Meaning they yell and scream. They'll show up to protest. They'll comment online. They'll write letters to the local paper. But if you ask them, you know. What is the current inflation rate? Who is your member of Congress? Who's on city council? They can't tell you. So we always have to make a distinction between politically engaged and politically informed people because they're not the same thing. And oftentimes they're conflated for each other. Number two, young people don't tend to have a great deal of political efficacy in general, right? Um, I mean, you you just don't. You, you, You just started voting. You don't know if the government's going to do anything for you. I'll, I'll give you a perfect example of this because it's something that concerns me greatly. You look at what's been going on in this country with COVID. We're still, 500 people a day are still dying of COVID.
0: People don't talk about people, it, dog. Yeah, yeah right. like
2: 5 not a day. I was like, I think it's still losing like 500 people a week or whatever it is. We're still losing lots of people every day, every week to COVID. We have absolutely no idea in definitive ways just how bad long COVID can be. And yet we have a federal government and state governments under pressure from business telling everybody, shut the F up and go back to work. Even though it's not necessary, even though we saw during the pandemic people were just as efficient working at home, sometimes more efficient working from home. We saw the positive environmental impact. You saw massive reverses in uh, in heat, and, and, and water pollution and air pollution when people were in lockdown or when they had the option of just working virtually. Less traffic on the roads, more people cooking, industry expenditures went down, less stress, everything. There was nothing wrong with everybody being at home, right? There were certain industries where it didn't work as well. Elementary school, high school, yes. Teaching, you kind of need to be in person. The vast majority of kids are not gonna have the attention span and discipline to do it. But at college, it should definitely be a hybrid system. Colleges where you have people living together, leaving, breathing, touching, everything else like that. Most colleges don't have uh, the filtration system that you need. There's absolutely no reason for anyone to be required to come in and teach in-person in college. It is dangerous. We are still in the midst of a pandemic. We've got our third or fourth wave going on. And I know people who have had COVID two, sometimes three times. (laughs) And I don't care how you spin it. You can't tell me that losing your sense of taste or smell for two or three months. I was just talking to a friend of mine this morning. We were DMing back and forth about this. She's a friend who works at a hospital. And and she said, you know, one of her friends is a nurse. It's like watching people who suffer from COVID with the long-term impacts, it's like watching somebody get dumber in real time. People who never recover from brain fog. They have difficulty forming words again. They have difficulty with neurological things that they didn't have before. And that's what we know now. It's only been two years in. So I say that to say that you have a generation of people who, while they have seen some protests work and they have seen some social movements be beneficial in the wake of George Floyd and other issues and black lives matter. They've also seen a country that by and large says, I don't care if you die, go back to work at target. I don't care if you get sick, go back to work at, you know, whole foods. I don't care if you can't pay rent. We're going to make you go back and work, even though you have no health care to protect you from an ongoing virus. And by the way, feel free to come back to campus this fall, where you're all going to be living in the same dorm. And let's cross our fingers as there's not a monkeypox outbreak. So if you are 20 years old today, and if you were born in 2002, you were born after 9-11, you haven't seen a country that appears to care for you very much. So your sense of efficacy is going to be very low because you're sitting here saying, especially if you're talking about a little black kid, sitting here saying, well, what the hell has the government done for me specifically? Done for me specifically. They may have done things overall, but I don't see that war in the Middle East as benefiting me. I don't see this particular policy benefiting me. And that's a failure both of the federal government and of the people in government to communicate how they've affected regular people's lives.
0: Now look, uh, Jason. Look, we had you, we had you on the show. We have our time block that we have. I told you going to honor our time. Uh, my last question to you is: When is uh, MSNBC giving you a show, man? What's going on? What's next? It's funny. Uh, that I,
2: I appreciate. It is a flattering. A flattering question. I always tell people those sorts of decisions are above my pay grade, (laughs) but I will say this. Uh, I definitely, definitely appreciate it. I always tell people follow me on Twitter at drjasonjohnson. When you see me on TV, live tweet. Always tweet and say, hey, I love the show. Make sure the show trends. Make sure you tag the network and say I appreciate the work that Jason does. All of those things uh, matter. This weekend, I'll be guest hosting on Saturday the 27th from 10 to t- from 10 to noon a.m. The Cross Connection sitting in uh, for Tiffany Cross. And hey, watch the show. Make sure we trend. Hashtag Cross Connection, um, because that's how you show the sort of support that the network wants to see in their talent.
0: I love it. It's been Jason Johnson. Jason, look, you're a friend. The last time you were on, it was right before uh, the election election. Uh, for the, the last presidential election, uh, you're coming back on in the middle of a bunch of stuff going on. Hopefully we we'll catch you before the aliens take over. Yes. Uh, you're a friend of the show. You're welcome anytime, brother. Thank you, man. I really do appreciate it. And I promise you it won't be 18 months before I'm back on. <laughs> All right. Now we'll talk to
2: you soon. All right. Peace. Peace.
0: And we're back. Listen, man, you know, the reality is. White folks don't really be getting held accountable, not rich white people, especially rich white men. They don't really get held accountable. But, man, I'm hoping, man, I'm hoping that something can happen with Trump out here. You know what I'm saying? Just doing James Bond level bad guy things with secret nuclear information. You heard that. I'm a little desperate to just see something happen. I mean, come on, like I don't want to, you know, it's, it's tough when you're in these spaces. I'm a fairly pessimistic person. And it doesn't help my pessimism when like I my stuff be getting validated all the time. You know what I mean? So hopefully we see change. But I want to thank <laughs> Dr. Jason Johnson for coming on the show. I want to encourage everybody to exercise all the leverage you have to express your political voice, including voting. And until next time, this has been Zach with Living Corporate. Make sure you check out the links in the show notes. Make sure if you're not already that you're, you subscribe to Living Corporate's newsletter. You create a profile on Living Corporate. Get set up, jobs, career consulting, coaching. It's all there on living-corporate.com, all right? We'll make sure we talk to you soon. Take care of yourself out here. Be vigilant. Keep your head on a swivel. Peace.
1: Living Corporate is a podcast by Living Corporate, LLC. Our logo was designed by David Dawkins. Our theme music was produced by Ken Brown. Additional music production by Antoine Franklin for Musical Elevation. Post-production is handled by Jeremy Jackson. Got a topic suggestion? Email us at livingcorporatepodcast@gmail.com. at gmail.com. You can find us online on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and living-corporate.com. Thanks for listening. Stay tuned.
0: Living Corporate is brought to you by Textio. Today's top talent is everywhere, representing everyone. And our work environment should reflect the level of inclusion to meet that standard. Textio achieves this in building more equitable company cultures through the language we use in our job postings. That culture is formed one hire at a time, making the words we use to reach more diverse candidates all the more important. Our advanced language insights and employer brand content is what drives our mission of inclusion. Through our industry-leading application of artificial intelligence and machine learning, we're able to widen companies' reach in finding and building upon the very diverse talent that empowers a culture of belonging. Every door should be open to every qualified job seeker. Again, that's Textio.